I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. So I've been doing fun interviews, and I will continue today with Jim Lynn. Say hi, Jim. Hi, everyone. Okay, so the question I always ask everybody is, how did you learn to play Magic? And yours is a very interesting story. So how did you learn to play Magic? So I learned to play from Scaff Elias. Uh, I can't remember if this was December of 1991 or January of 1992 anymore, but Scaff and I were working to, um, we were going to be running a miniatures game at a local gaming convention in Philadelphia. So we were getting together to kind of plan what we were going to do as part of that game. And at the end of what kind of our planning, he's like, Hey, I've got this cool thing to show you. And he pulled out these two small sets of cards. They were, I don't know, I think maybe one by two or something like that. They were teeny. I mean, you know, and he said, this is a game that a friend of mine has invented. I think you'd like it. You should play it. And so we played together. Um, and so that was my introduction to Magic. So so this is, so Magic came out in uh, August of 1993. So this is December of 1991. So um, th- this is pretty early on, right? Richard's early playtest cards, the, what, you're, what you're talking about was he photocopied stuff, right? And then just cut them out. Yeah, I don't know if he photocopied or if he printed. I mean, all I know was they were on, you know, essentially construction paper, you know, printed black and white, you know, uh, with uh, I was never involved in making the actual cards. So I don't know um, how they did it exactly. I would just get cards. I mean, um, but yeah, there was there was just, you know, there are these little teeny cards about, you know, uh, like I said, you know, that had a little bit of text on them, and like usually to make it easier to tell, remember, remember what the card was. There was some piece of, you know, like cartoon art or, you know, image that Richard had found somewhere that he put on them. I think in some cases he'd sketch something, you know, that kind of thing, or someone sketched something. I don't know. Like I said, yeah, I, I never was. Um, uh, I wasn't, you know, living down at UPenn, you know, Richard and Scaff at the time. So, um, I mean, I never did. So as, as a result, you know, I wasn't really involved in the guts of making it basically the, the, the playtest cards. So, okay. So what was early magic playtest like? What was magic like in December of 1991? So early magic playtesting is, was really funny. I mean, the way it essentially worked was, um, you got given your starter thing, which was, um, I don't even remember what it was, whether it was like a starter deck plus some of them were boosters, but it was all, it was essentially you got this big pile of cardboard cards given to you. And then you made your own deck and you started playing people and we played for ante and then you could trade. And so, you know, over time, you know, you started with like this really random collection of cards you tried to build a deck from. And then as you played other people and traded with them, your deck got stronger and we would just get together, you know, you know, either you get agree with one person or there'd be nights where a group would get together and we would just play with each other and play for ante and then trade, you know, and so and then build decks, basically. And so and then talk about the game afterwards. So how did you give feedback? Obviously, part of this was for Richard to gather feedback. So how was the feedback given to Richard? Oh, uh, I mean, some of it was in person, but some of it was um, trying to remember if it was via email or some kind of like rec, you know, list. You know what I mean? Like, like, uh, mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, I, th- I think it was some kind of listserv that we would email into if I remember right, but I could be wrong on that. It could be just, we had like an, 
you know, we just email all each other. I, I don't remember anymore. So, so you, um, you would have but, notes. And, and then you, were, there yeah. were some, you know, some get together show where we talk about stuff. So, okay. So, how did early magic differ from what got released in 1993? Uh, I mean, in terms of the rules, you know, it was pretty close. You know, the card set changed quite a bit as we play tested, obviously. Uh, and I mean, you know, before Magic came out, I think no one had any sense of how big it was going to be. So we were effectively playing with much smaller card pools than, you know, actually happened in reality. Right. You know, like, I mean, you know, so you know, I don't remember the exact numbers. Let's just say though, you know, for argument's sake, cause this wouldn't be too far off that we gave everyone in the group one starter deck and f- 10 boosters, but like we never added cards to the pool at the beginning for a long time, right? And so that was like essentially, you know, if there were thirty of us playing, you know, the universe of cards that were being played was three hundred boosters plus thirty starter decks, right? So I mean, <laughs> it was a very small set of cards that were available to the world, right? You know, like so, you know, there was, um, you know, so common cards there's tons of, you know, you could build, you get lots of them, um, but you know, some of the rare cards there was probably like one copy of it amongst everyone playing the game right you know and so so you know we just um you know later on when we were kind of getting ready for the final release of magic you know we knew some cards were too powerful but you know at the time people's mindset was well you know no one's going to buy that many boosters and so you know you know there are going to be a few time walks out there it's not like you know someone's ever going to get a bunch you know more than one in their deck it's probably fine right and then you know as soon as the product actually hit the streets and we were like, Oh, that was a bad assumption. Right. You know, like we just totally underestimated how much people would be into magic. And we had kind of completely play tested the wrong environment. Right. You know, like we were essentially play testing something much closer to sealed deck play than constructed play when we play tested magic. So, I mean, we like I said, we did do trading. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't, you know, as limited as sealed deck play, but it was, you know, not very close to true constructive play where people were just like, okay, I'm going to go out and get these, this exact set of cards and make a deck from it, right? And I'm going to ignore how rare those cards are. If I have to, you know, open a billion boosters or do a ton of trading or, you know, buy singles, that's going to happen. Like, we just weren't thinking about it in that way. And so, you know, the decks were really different. I mean, like, I think my clearest example of how crazy the decks were is, um, um, there's a couple of them. Like, you know, I remember uh, having a conversation with Bill Rose or he was talking about his deck and he was like, I only play things that fly or, you know, our creature kill spells. Everything else is garbage. And then because essentially, you know, this is where we had a good extent of, of either tempo or character advantage, I pulled out a deck that was basically a bunch of low and medium cheap creatures because that's all I've been able to assemble and crushed his deck. Because essentially, you know, the flying things were too slow to keep up with me. His creatures kill was all things like terror, which was, you know, more expensive than the creatures that I was, you know, or the same cost as the creatures I was playing. And there was no card advantage, right? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, and then the other really funny example is in an attempt to show everyone how broken Ancestral Recall was, Charlie Catino assembled a deck that was nothing but islands, merfolk, and Ancestral Recalls. And it was pretty good. It beat a lot of people's decks. 
Now, obviously, if you have, like, I mean, he had, at, at that time, Ancestral Recall was a common card, so I think he'd gotten, I, um, I think he'd gotten something like 20 or 30 Ancestral Recalls, <laughs> right, you know, by trading and, you know, because people didn't realize how good it was at the time at first, you know, and by playing, playing for Ante. And so, obviously, if you have 20 or 30 Ancestral Recalls, you don't really want to pair it with a bunch of 1-1 creatures. But that was what Charlie did, you know, because it was the easiest thing for him to do. It was like, what else can I put with my Ancestral Recalls is I don't want to put too much land in. All right, I got to play some cheap creatures. He, you know, I think at one point he experimented with maybe he got a bunch of dual lands or got some and put some some uh, Savannah Lions in, you know, the 2-1 creature. So he'd have a 2-1 creature instead of 1-1 creature he tried to beat you down with. And just, I mean, he was just trying to show just, you know, I'm drawing a crazy number of cards. It doesn't matter that my other card is not very good. You just can't handle the fact that I've drawn three times as many cards as you have, literally, right? You know, and so, I mean, it was just, I mean, the decks you look back on, they were laughable. I mean, so. The, the other thing I've heard about stories about the playtesting is because people were um, trading, that you, someone would start hoarding something and you hear rumors that someone's hoarding, like, and that the value of that would start going up because people are like, I know so-and-so wants it, so I'm going to trade it for more because I know there's more value toward it. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of that. I mean, I was involved in less trading just because, you know, most of the playtesters either were students, uh, mostly grad students, or worked at or lived near UPenn. That was not the case for me. Uh, like, I uh, I was going to UPenn part-time, but I had a full-time job, and I didn't live near UPenn. Like, I, I would, I'd have to come down, especially in the evenings or on the weekends, to be there, and so... You know, my training sessions were much lower just because it was it tended to be when we had big group to get get together. So I mean, I mostly, uh, you know, so like my decks tend to be lower powered because I I just didn't have as much access to cards as people, and I was mostly, you know, getting cards by playing for ante, right? You know, and that kind of thing. I mean, and you know, like I, I described the deck I beat Bill with. One of the advantages of that deck was it was if I lost a card from it, it was actually I had another card that was almost as good or was the same card, right? You know. Yeah. You know, so like like my deck never really got worse. I mean, eventually I started winning some randomly some good cards, right? And so then yeah. I could build more interesting decks. But it was like this weird deck that like I could never get worse no matter how many games I lost because you know yeah. I'm losing like you know like essentially bears, right? <laughs> I keep losing my bears, but then I have more bears, and so I, you know another bear goes in there, right? You know, and it just you know that kind of thing. So um, so I mean, my experience was pretty different than a lot of the other playtesters because of the fact that I was effectively remote some ways so okay so let's flash forward a little bit um were you at gen con when magic premiered um i am trying to remember which is the first gen con i went to well i mean do, do, do you remember being at at any of the events when magic first started showing up were you at any of those events uh i mean i was at a really early gen con i'm just trying to remember if it was the first one well, um, 94 had the first world championships. 93 was the introduction of magic. I don't know if that helps you. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm like, if this is the thing I'm trying to remember, a lot of these things have gotten fuzzy in my mind. I kind of believe that I was at the 93 Gen Con, but there's some chance I'm getting it confused with the 94. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I know for sure both of them involved crazy. Like this is an issue. The farm marshals are getting involved. Yeah. You know, lines near the Wizards, the Wizards of the Coast booth, you know, for people standing in line trying to buy magic, right? You know, um, and uh, I mean, you know, uh, you know, and well, sorry, 
I, I must have been at there in 93, right? Because I guess by 94 Gen Con, I actually worked full-time at Wizards. Yeah. So, and I definitely went to that one. I, I definitely went to one as a non-full-time employee. So I was there in 93. Okay, so what what yeah. was it like taking this game that you had been playtesting, that, right, was this little tiny game that started just blowing up into this big thing, this phenomenon? What was that like? I mean, it was pretty crazy, right? I mean, it was funny. It was one of those things where, um, you know... Because I don't, I don't think people understand how, you know, little money we raised to print magic. I mean, literally, it was a, like, I mean, I pitched my college roommates on, did they want to put a little money into magic? They all said no. And then, of course, like five years later, like, man, we should have totally listened to you when you said we, when you said we should put some money into magic, right? You know, I put a, I put a few thousand dollars, which. I mean, looking back on it now, I definitely could have put more, but at the time it seemed like an enormous sum of money to me to put into something speculative, right, you know, um, mm. you know, of my own money. And it was like literally, um, you know, we raised just enough money to print Alpha. And then when we sold Alpha, we used that money to print Beta. And then when we yeah. print, you know, and so like there was just kind of like pay-as-you-go thing that happened, right? And so right. it was pretty crazy, right? You know, it was the, the net result of that was there were massive shortages where it was like, you know, no one can find Alpha because we didn't print very much of it, right? And people really wanted it, right? So, okay, so um, you go from being a player. So, how did you transition to working at Wizards? How did that happen? So, I mean, after Magic came out, um, you know, uh, Wizards approached a group of us. Um, it was most of the Ice Age design group, uh, which was me, Scaphalias, Dave Petty, and Chris Page to work on magic, you know, part-time essentially, right? So we were also living in Philadelphia. Scaff, Dave, and Curse were both grad students. I was both a grad student and had a full-time job. Um, and so we would get together on weekends and do it over email, you know, and, you know, comment on stuff that was coming out, you know, whether it was, you know, updating the rule book or the next card set or, you know, fixing errors that, you know, we're in alpha, you know, you know, trying to make what was supposed to be on the card for real, right? You know, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, and pretty quickly it became pretty obvious that this wasn't really working out for either group, right? I mean, like, you know, Wizards, understandably, wasn't very happy about the fact that, you know, we really weren't spending that much time on it because we didn't have the time, right? You know, so it was like, you know, like in my situation, you know, I'm working a full-time job. I'm going to grad school. And, you know, at the same time, I'm trying to work on magic, right? And so, you know, I was young, so I probably wasn't getting very much sleep, but I probably still wasn't spending more than 10 hours a week on magic, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, so it was the kind of thing where, you know, Wizards was kind of frustrated about, you know, I mean, it wasn't like they didn't understand, but they just it became very obvious to both sides that, like, this whole part-time thing wasn't going to get it done. Right. And so eventually um, Wizards approached um, the four of us and three of us decided to do it. Uh, Chris decided he didn't want to do it um, to come out uh, to move to Seattle and work on uh, magic full time. Because that, that's the other thing is we were all living in Philadelphia, which is the coast is obviously in Seattle. So, you know, there was not just that we weren't working full time. It was a three hour time difference. You know, it's all over, you know, email. And we're talking about 1993 email. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and so. Like, I mean, it's – I don't want to say the internet wasn't a thing yet, but it kind of wasn't a thing, right? Like, 
you didn't go to websites in 1993, right? Like yeah. you went to like listservs and stuff like that, right? Right, I mean, I was like, using that back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it, you know, it was just nothing like the thing that it is now, where you know you can imagine having an important group working remotely isn't that crazy. I mean, at the time, it was just basically completely insane. Um, so you know, in the spring of 1994, you know, three of us moved out to Seattle and to work on Magic full time, essentially. So. Okay, so prior to moving out, you guys actually had started working on a design, right? So Ice Age was the first design you guys worked on, is that correct? Yes. I mean, and we had, we had actually been working on Ice Age from before when Magic released. Mm -hmm. um, I have a picture that someone sent me because they had found it in their garage and scanned it from, like, this big summit we did at UPenn... I think it must have been in like early 1993. Um, and so there's a bunch of us, you know, it's, there's all the, like, essentially all the Philadelphia playtesters plus Peter and Lisa Stevens and a few other people from Seattle in this big classroom in at UPenn. Right. We published like, that picture in the Duelist, the Duelist fifth anniversary, uh, to have that picture in it in the article about magic. Yeah. And so, you know, and at that thing, we agreed to, like, you know, our plan for magic, you know, which is laughable when you look at it back, you know, when you look at it now. Um, but we had this, you know, idea of, you know, the, the the first release would come out, it would last for a while, and then we would do a second release. And at the time, we were really thinking that, you know, that would be kind of like a sequel as opposed to an expansion, right? Like, there was going to be the first set and then like the second set, which was at that time we had agreed it was going to be the ice age groups that would basically replace all those cards. Right. You know, and like, and you wouldn't play the two of them together. You played them separately. Right. You know, and, um, and it was, and, it was going to be called magic, the gathering ice age, right? Like, like yeah. the first set was magic, the gathering, sorry, the first one was magic, the gathering. The second would be magic ice age. Right. Is that how it's going to right. work? And, and I'm not even sure if this was, um, this might have been before we had figured out that we were going to have to call it Magic the Gathering. Okay. Even. I don't remember anymore, right? Because that was like kind of a little relatively like, like, oh, crap, well, we can't trademark Magic. That's that's an issue. So what are we going to do, right, you know, to give ourselves a trademarkable name we can protect, right? You know, like that was like – I remember that being a late scramble. Like, oh, crap, what are we going to do? we got to redesign the card backs because, you know, <laughs> we can't trademark Magic. Do, <laughs> so, do you know where the Gathering came from? I think it was some idea of both, like, the idea of gathering mana and also gathering the cards. It was some kind of – there was some kind of brainstorming on it. And I – you know, but uh, email brainstorming on it. And I think a bunch of ideas got thrown back and forth. And people kind of liked the double meaning of the gathering in our minds at the time, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but I, that one's really fuzzy to me. It was, like, it was definitely one of the, like, oh, my God, this is something we need to resolve in, like, the next – 48 hours because you know <laughs> we're supposed to send stuff to the printer you know next week but this is we have to redo all the card backs right you know because the yeah. uh um and, and and you know this is kind of funny now to think about it because i mean i'm sure right now you know i mean i don't know but i'm i assume that you know the way which is that the cards back is they have a file for the card back they have not changed in ages that just keeps getting reused right but i mean at the time like every card had its own back file, right? I mean, like, like there was a big grid of fronts and backs and mm -hmm. like, you know, ha you know, because at 
you know, at the time people were short, like I did, I actually did some, like, I'm in a, not for Magic, but for Netrunner, I'm in a file and I'm copying and pasting elements from one card to the other card because they're supposed to be the same in an effort to make them the same. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that was what, how the backs were done too. It was like they had to copy and paste the, the back file, you know, the back image, you know, across the grid, you know, 121 times. And so it was, it was this big panic. So uh, Okay, so Ice Age was meant to be Magic Part 2, you know, the, the yeah. next evolution of, of Magic. Um, so how did that come about? What was the, the how, how did Ice Age come to be? I mean, I think, you know, I mean, the playtest group had kind of broken up into, in a couple of different ways. It was partially based on who knew who before the playtesting started. It was like Richard was kind of the nexus of this. And, you know, he knew people through a lot of different ways. Like, you know, the Ice Age group was mostly um, uh, people he knew from his PhD math program. Mm-hmm. Um, plus I knew Scat from college and so I kind of got lumped in with them like there's another group that was more people that Richard knew from his from participating in the UPenn Bridge Club and then there was a I think there's a couple other groups like you know where Richard had met people mm-hmm. and discovered they liked gaming just like he did and and um, so so the groups that kind of group broken up you know based on kind of who knew who beforehand and also because a lot of times, you know, the way we play Test Magic, it would be like, you know, the group that knew each other would get together, you know. Because, again, this is before cell phones, too. So, you know, organizing, like, you know, 35 people who don't know that way, each other very well to get together is actually kind of a big pain in the butt, right, you know, back then. Yeah. And so it was mostly like, you know, the four of us would get together a lot because we all knew each other and were socializing anyway. And so then we would just play Magic, right, you know. So each of those groups kind of developed their own philosophy on what they thought made a good magic set and what was fun in magic and what wasn't fun. And so, you know, we, you know, so we kind of formed this group and, you know, we kind of had some ideas of what would make, you know, an, a, a good second set. Um, you know, I think one of the things we had talked about in the Big Summit was wanting to have the sets feel pretty different flavor-wise, right? You know, and so I forget now where Ice Age came from, but I know it's pretty early on. We were like, oh, we want to do like a cool winter, like, you know, snow set with a lot of very different, you know, feeling cards because of that. So. Okay. So, and then you, you worked on Ice Age. How long, how long from the beginning of Ice Age to the end of Ice Age, how long did you guys work on that? I mean, it was years, I think. I mean, so Ice Age got published when like 90, 95, 95, summer of 95. 95. I mean, I am certain that we started working on Ace Age informally as early as 92. Um, we probably didn't really formally call it Ice Age um, and, you know, really get serious about it until, you know, after that summit in 93. So it was at least a couple of years we were working on it. But I mean, but, you know, we had been meeting as a group and talking about what we thought was good and, you know, exchanging card ideas for probably six months to a year before that, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you have any, any favorite stories or just of the making of Ice Age? Um, I mean, I'm trying to remember making of Ice Age. I mean, it's funny. Um, I mean, I have mostly stories that are funny because they, because we, we did a bad job, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, 
I think the couple uh, – and, and then I guess I have one funny story. Like I remember that – I mean this kind of shows you how tired we were and how young we were and how you know giddy we were in these late-night sessions. Like one of my definitely fun stories is remembering the night where we were like uh, – we came up with a Lurgoy and like there was like a good 20 or 30 minutes of, Ah, Hans, run. It's the Lurgoy <laughs> when we thought of that flavor text, right? You know, just going back and forth with each other and coming up with crazier ways of saying that and just, you know, being like, um. but then I remember like we spent all this time designing that terrible card that, I mean, basically the mechanics didn't fit on the card. And so I don't think the card ever really worked. It was a, uh, this was kind of probably one of my pet projects. So I definitely need to take most of the, uh, the blame for this, the, uh, although I don't remember if this ended up being an Ice Age or in um, Alliances, the which one? The the I'm trying to remember what the card finally got called. It might have just been called Ice Cauldron when it got released. I think Ice Cauldron, yes. More Ice Cauldron, yes. We have much more. We had some much more complicated name for it, based on like like that was based on some mythology we had found. Right, I think, and then like with the ice witch and stuff like that. But then, so we we had something much longer as the name, but then it didn't fit. And also, you know, by the time Ice came out, you know, the kind of the brand team, or well, it wasn't really the brand team then, but the the group in charge of naming and flavor text was trying to, you know, strip out references to Earth essentially, right? And so sure. some of the stuff that we named things on just got removed, right? So how much were you influenced by like Scandinavian type? That seems like there's some. Norse and Scandinavian and some of that was, was woven Yeah, there. I mean, I mean, you know, we definitely, well, some of us were pretty into that stuff. And so we definitely were looking into that area, right, you know, and to, for inspiration on, you know, card ideas, you know, just like, you know, for Arabian Nights, Richard obviously had looked at, you know, at the actual Arabian Nights, right? You know, we, we definitely, and there's a lot of, you know, classic mythology in, in the original magic, right? You know, so we definitely mm. were looking into that area. I mean, so... Lurgoy, if I kind of feel like that name is is either like a an actual like Scandinavian monster, or like we took an actual Scandinavian myth and modified it slightly. I mean, like, but mm. it was inspired by something, you know, like like um, some Grendel like thing up there, basically. You know, so yeah, um, like there and you know, there's there was um, and, you know, there was you know, quite a bit of that, you know, in, in terms of designing early magic sets. So real quickly, we don't have a lot of time left, but I, I want to hit, um, there's a few other sets that you worked on. So, um, one of my favorite sets of all time, you guys designed, which was antiquities. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about the making of antiquities. How, how did antiquities come about? I mean, I think antiquities came about because I mean, essentially early on, we kept underestimating, how much demand there would be for magic and how many new sets we did. So, you know, the original set came out, there were some reprints, Richard did Arabian Nights, and that thing flew off the shelf. Some people were like, we need another set. And so I, I mean, maybe I remember wrong, but I think we designed Antiquities in something really crazy short, like across two weekends. Because it was like, we need another set designed by X day. And, you know, and so like, I think we like, I think the four of us pulled like two all-nighters across two or three weekends and, and you know, came up with the outline for Antiquities and we had a little more time to kind of flush it out into actual cards. I mean, and so we really like the idea of, you know, doing something centered around artifacts. Artifacts, you know, seemed really popular to us in terms of what people liked. 
you know, there weren't that many in alpha, right? You know, and so we kind of felt like this is a cool space to explore in. Um, we created some pretty fun story stuff with um, Urza and Mishra and the, the Brothers War and stuff like that. Um, uh, so, I mean, like... Um, how, how did that come about? How did you guys come up with the Brothers War? How did that... I mean, it was one of those weird things where, um, uh, like, you know, there was there was an Urza card and a Misha card in um, in Alpha, Alpha, and we noticed some weird patterns. I mean, like, eventually, you know, like, you know, Urza had two sets of glasses and Misha had nothing, right? You know, and so we eventually had this running joke, which never really made it into the flavor text, but we put some oblique references in, I think, that essentially they were like, you know, twins, except... Urza got both heads and Misha had no head <laughs> was our running joke. And right. And so you see like these things where like Urza keeps having two sets of headgear and Misha never has any headgear. Right. <laughs> you know? So that was like our, our silly running joke was like, you know, Urza got both heads. Right. You know? yeah. so. And the, one of the cool things about, about it was you did this archeology span thing where it wasn't that the story was happening is that you were digging up things, learning about the story that happened long ago how did yeah. that idea come about? Okay. I mean, I think that was, you know, inspired by the idea of artifacts themselves. I mean, the name itself implies that these things are kind of from a lost age. They're not new, right, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we, I think we really leaned into that idea of, uh, I mean, I and I think uh, maybe I'm attaching something afterward, after the fact to it, but I think that was Richard's original vision for artifacts was these were kind of like lost relics, you know, and that's why there were so few of them in the original set. Right. You know? Um, and so, I mean, there's some balance reasons you don't want to go too crazy with artifacts, obviously, just because since they're colorless, you know, they go into any deck in some ways. And so you have to be a little careful about, you know, how many of them you do. But so I think we really were just trying to lean into that whole, um, you know, discovering large lost relics. I'm sure in the back of our minds, we had some, you know, Indiana Jones, getting through the temple, you know, getting the, you know, discovering all the cool stuff thing in our minds, right? You know, so. Well, that's cool. So, um, I, I'm almost, almost to my desk here. So, uh, we have to wrap up. So, are there any last thoughts as, uh, looking back on your time on Magic, any final thoughts about sort of what you remember of, of that time period? Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously I'm really proud of what we created with Magic. I mean, it still amazes me how much we got wrong but it was fine because we got the most important things right, you know? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I don't think we can take full credit for that. Some of that, a little bit of that is luck, but I think there is quite a bit of design in there. Like, I think at the heart of it, we did kind of understand what made Magic a great game and preserved that part of it, you know? Even if we got lots of the details wrong, whether it was the timing rules or, you know, how we worded the cards originally and stuff like that, right, you know? Uh, so... Okay, well, that's, it's fun. One of the things I enjoy talking to, to people that from way back when is just, I mean, I've been involved with Magic for a long time, but you, you predate me. So hear, hearing some of the, the super early stuff is always fun for me. So anyway, um, I'm now at my desk. So we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking Magic, it's time for me to be making Magic. So thank you, Jim, for joining us. It was great being here. Thank you. And guys, I'll see all of you next time. Bye-bye.